Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. The Old Testament gives us the story of a man named Daniel who found himself in a position full of temptation at every turn. He had multiple opportunities to exchange God's way for another path, an exchange he never made, and God honored him for it. We face choices that can shape our destiny, and far too frequently, we take the path of least resistance. Let's learn from Daniel's courage and find the faith to avoid the traps of the exchange. Well, good morning, church. All right, here we go. You ready? I'm glad three of you are. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I'm gonna go, I, I told first service, um, I've written and rewritten this message probably somewhere around 15 times throughout the week. Uh, first service got one version of it. We'll see which one y'all get, okay? Um, but I really, it's weird, man. Sometimes God just does that to me. Uh, and I think he does that to make sure that I'm relying on him and not me. That it's his word that comes out today. Because I, I don't deserve to be up here preaching. I have no idea why he chose me to do this. Well, I'm going to do it, all right? I, w- I want to pray. Will you just bow one more time to pray? God, whatever you want to say today, say it. And I'm grateful that you used me to do it. But God, help me just to get out of your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, all week I've just been thinking about um, it, coming to Jesus is actually really easy when you think about it. And I know that a lot of us had obstacles between, our, between us and Jesus that we had to overcome and get there to him. But God has made salvation so simple. And if you're here today, I know that the church has complicated that somewhat. But, like, God did all the work. I mean, he made, he made it so simple to come to him. Like, because he came to us. I mean, he did all the things necessary to deal with every mistake that you've ever made or ever will make. He did everything. He shed his own blood. He paid your penalty. He, he was a sacrifice that you needed in order to be bought out of the sinful mistakes that you made so that you could be made right with him. He is so holy, but yet you, are so, you and I are so messed up. And if you didn't think you were messed up, welcome. I'm glad I could tell you that today. Because we are all so messed up. And God just said, all right, you can't do this, so I'm going to do it for you. Like coming to Jesus is the, the easiest thing ever. But following him every single day is the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. Like coming to salvation is, is easy and it's simple. But daily walking with Jesus and following Jesus is the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. Like living in this world and trying to live in a way that honors God and live in a way that reflects Jesus is the most difficult thing you will ever attempt to do. It is hard, y'all. It is. And here's what stinks. Like, it doesn't get easier. Like, I think somewhere along the way, like, even as a kid, like, I thought, man, like, the longer you walk with Jesus, the easier it is to walk with Jesus. And I found really the opposite is true. Because, the, like, the more you get to know of him, the more you realize there is to know of him. And the more you think you got it right, the more you realize you ain't even close. And, like, the, you begin to reveal your own imperfections and walking with him is hard. And then on the midst of that, you're walking with Jesus and trying to be like Jesus in a world full of crazy people. I thought that would have got an amen from everybody. 
You didn't amen because y'all are the crazy people. Like, that's a, it's kind of like you don't know which one's the weird uncle. It's you. I mean, you know, that's, like it's so difficult. I mean, and I, I remember thinking as a kid, like, man, because being, you know, I, I came to Jesus as a teenager and, and trying to live for Jesus as a teenager is hard. Parents of teenagers, it's hard. It's harder than when you were a teenager now. Because they have social media and cell phones. I'm going to lock my kid, especially my daughter. I just want to lock her up till she's about 38. <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, well, when I, it's like, all right, when I, get, when I get out of school or when I get out of this next place, then, then it'll be easy. It's like, you know what, we, we keep looking for it to get easier to follow Jesus, don't we? And we start even kind of creating our mind, like, we're, we're, well, if I can just get, from, when, when you're a kid, if I can get from middle school to high school, there's, it'll be, when I get out of high school, it'll be easier. When I get to college, it'll be easier. And then you come adult and be like, well, if, if I could find a new job, it would be easier. If I could live, move into a new neighborhood, it'd be easier. If I could find a new husband, it'd be easier. Like, if I, if I could, like, we just kind of, and what we found, like, it's, it's, it's just hard. And maybe you, we've, You've been in a church to tell, oh, the longer you walk with Jesus, the easier it'll get. No, it's the harder it'll get. Because even as an adult, the consequences for following Jesus, they, they get even more expensive. It's even more difficult because the, the consequences and the, and, the, and the repercussions are higher more so. And so it's like you just came to Jesus and you're like, I can't wait for it to get easier. It ain't gonna. This is not. Because we live in this world that is so opposite of that so often. And the reality is, like, man, there's some weeks that, like, and I hope y'all can relate. Like, there's some times that just following Jesus is exhausting. Yeah, no, following Jesus is great. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the best thing and the only way and the, not just the best way, the only way to have fulfillment in this life. Don't, get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but it's difficult. And if you don't think it's difficult, you ain't doing it right. Or you've isolated yourself from the world. Or you've been a Christian for all about 0.3 seconds. But for me, I go through things every day that test my faith. And sometimes the, the strength that I have to exert just to stay true to who God's called me to be takes everything I've got. I mean, there's days when... when I want to hit people. There's days that I have the desire to cuss somebody out. Be like, where are we at? Well, who is this pastor? We're going to a different church next Sunday. (laughs) If this is too real for you, find another church. I'm sorry. Like, there's days, there's days that I I want to look at things I'm not supposed to. And it takes everything I've got and the power of His Spirit just to get it through through the day. Now, every day is not like that, but a lot of them are. Can anybody testify? Come on. Thank you. And you know what? It's those days when it gets exhausting that the exchange seems more appealing at times. Because every day, like, we find ourselves in an intersection, at the intersection of truth and lie, at the intersection of God's way and a way less worthy. And every day you have to make decisions when you find yourself in those intersections. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to go God's way or am I going to go another way? Am I going to follow God's truth or am I going to follow somebody else's lie? 
And there's a lot of days when following the lie looks easier. And the following the truth looks harder. And in those moments, like, we, we, we've, we've got to make a decision. And, and that's the reason why church is so important. Because, you know what, coming here, I come here exhausted a lot of Sundays, and I know you do too. And just being in God's people and worshiping and praising Him and singing His praises and just experiencing life with this group, this body of believers, gives me the strength I need to keep fighting for it. And I know, I hear all the time, like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're thinking about it wrong. Do you have to go to church to get to heaven? No. You get to heaven by knowing Jesus, not going to church. And you can go to church and not know Jesus. You can sit in church every Sunday and cannonball your way into hell when you die. It is real in here today. Goodness gracious. Um, but we need this. And there's a reason why God said do it. Because he knew that like living for him would, would wear us out. And we would need moments where we come and recharge and refresh and, and energize. Because you know what? Here's the reality. We're talking about this whole exchange thing. Like basically that we live in a culture that flows a, in the opposite direction of the scripture. And you've got two choices. You can flow with the culture or follow the scripture. And it's easy to get caught in the flow. It's especially easy to get caught in the flow when you're weak. Amen. When you're tired. When you've worn yourself out. But you, we need to reach strength. But here's the thing. It's not just enough to stand up. Anybody can stand up in a moment. Amen. The goal is to keep standing. <laughs> to, not, to not just stand up, but to stay standing when standing gets difficult. Because there's sometimes you can stand up. You can stand up in this room. It's easy because you got a lot of support. You get, but when we get out there and you get into those other environments that make it a little bit more challenging, that's when standing up and staying standing is difficult. And we're trying to build something in us, a strength in us, not only that we just stand, stand up, but we stay standing when it gets hard, when it gets challenging. Maybe when we're the only one still standing, that we stay up. But we also have to do it in a way that doesn't stomp on other people. That we stand up without stomping on others. Like the way I put it last week, here's our goal. Live in obedience to God without destroying our influence with others. Like that's, that's my goal. Yeah, I want to live in full obedience to God. I don't want to compromise. I don't care which way the culture's going. I don't want the culture to dictate to me what's right and wrong. I want it to be his word. And I want to always obey his word, no matter whether it's popular or whether it's not, whether it's convenient or whether it's not. But I also feel the responsibility to do it in a way that doesn't destroy my influence with other people. That sometimes we, we stand up, and in the midst of our standing church, if we're honest, we just stomp all over people, and it's like we don't care anymore. Well, I don't care if they get offended. Well, again, I understand that sometimes when we take a stand for God, it will offend people. That may be the result, but it can never be our intent. It can never be our intent. It can never be like the goal for us to offend people. And you know what? I think, yeah, God cares about our obedience, but he's also concerned with our influence. Because for some reason, he decided that you and I would be the vehicles to take his love to the world. Sometimes I wonder, why did you choose as messed up a vehicle as me? And then I read the Bible and see they were just as messed up as I am. I feel a little bit better about things. Because the vehicles that he chose to bring his word were just as jacked up as I am. Makes me feel better. 
So your influence matters. Yeah, yeah, you need to be obedient to God, but because you're the vehicle, because you're the vessel that God has decided to take his message, to take his gospel to the world, your influence matters. Because if you ruin your influence under the umbrella of obedience, then you haven't done all that God wants you to do. And you do realize the enemy loves it when we destroy our influence. Because if he can't have your soul, he'll settle for your influence. Because if he can't have you, he wants to do everything he can to ruin your ability to make sure that God has anybody else because of you. If if he can't have your soul, he will settle for your influence. So every time we stand up in the wrong way and we hurt the cause of Christ, the enemy's like, good job. He celebrates when that happens. So we're going to find a way to stand. Not just stand up, but stay standing. To stand in a way that doesn't stomp on other people. To live in obedience to God without destroying our influence with others. And we know it's possible because we've seen it done. The Bible is full of examples of people who did just that. And none better than the young men that we see in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So grab your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 3 because that's where we're going to be this morning. Because once again, we see these young men who have been plucked from their home in Judah, dropped in this new country called Babylon, and they're trying to be indoctrinated with a culture that goes against everything they've ever believed in. And they find themselves, time after time, standing at that intersection that we're talking about, where they have to choose to exchange God's way for the way of something less than. And every time they manage to stand, and they manage to do it in a way that not only doesn't destroy their influence, but actually increases their ability to influence others. And today's story is exactly that. And it centers around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you couldn't hear real good like I was growing up in church, Shadrach, Meshach, and the billy goat. (laughs) For like five years of my life, I thought it was a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Y'all are like, who is this preacher? These new people. We, first and only time. Please come back. Um, <laughs> Daniel chapter 3. says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, judges, and all these really important people, they came to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and he stood before it, verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the music of the horn, flute, zither, still the funnest instrument to say in all of scripture, zither, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So here they go, this King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, who's taken over Judah and robbed all these young men and placed them in this this new culture, trying to indoctrinate him in it. He he, He decides to make this image of gold because it just shows that Nebuchadnezzar's searching for something. Like, even in himself, knowing that he's king and has all this power, he's longing for something bigger than he is. Because that's the way humanity is wired. You are wired to find God. You are, because you were created by God. There is something in you that longs for God. 
And so many people try to fill that longing with something less than, something unworthy. That's why so many of us get caught up in the things we get caught up in. Because we know that we can't be all there is. It can't be only about us. There has to be something bigger to live for than just us. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. Like because you were created by a creator, there's a part of you that longs for him. And so many people spend their whole lives trying to fill that gap in their hearts with something less than worthy. For some people, it's a job, it's a career, it's a degree, it's money, it's a drug, it's a relationship, it's something. Because you long for something to worship. You're a worshiper at heart. Come on, you are. And you'll always have something trying to compete for your worship. And here they go, they, they build this thing and he makes it pretty clear what the deal would be. That like, whenever you hear all this fancy music playing that you are to bow down and worship. And now you can read all kinds of different theories about was that a specific time every day? Was it random times or whatever? But could you just imagine, like, you're just, you're just, you're just walking out of Babylonian Walmart <laughs> with uh, bags in your hand, and boom, the music plays. You have to just stop what you're doing, drop everything, and worship. Like, that's what he called. He said, you are to fall down. Like, not only did you just acknowledge it, like, like you're, there's a certain position that he demands that you take a position of worship because worship is about a posture. And in this moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a decision to make. They've got to decide what they're going to do. And now, it's really easy to go with the flow when very few are following God. We only have listed here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who take this stance. Now, were there more? I don't know. Were there other people that were kind of there? But it's, it's really difficult to, go, to, to not go with the flow when very few are following. And have you ever found yourself in that position? Like where you have to take a stand when, when, when it seems like everybody's flowing one way but you. And so it's really easy. It's like, well, if everybody else is going up, I guess I should too. Or in this moment, it's, it's easy to start rationalizing and even kind of begin to figure out, all right, how do I be kind of obedient um, but not? Like, like, there ain't no such thing. Again, it's like being kind of pregnant. You're either obedient or you're not. Like there's not any in-between ground. But can I be honest with you? When I read this passage of Scripture, there have been times in my life what I would have done is I would have bent my knee but told God I wasn't bowing my heart. But God, I may be bending my knee, but I ain't bowing my heart. Anybody else can, like, it's like, okay, we, we, we'd almost justify it. Like, everybody else is bending. I'm going to bend, God, because everybody else is bending. But you know me in my heart, Jesus. Like, I'm bending my knee, but I'm bow, not bowing my heart. But the reality is, if you bend, you bow. If you bend, you bow. See, sometimes we'll, if, you bend, if you bend away from God's standard, you are bowing away from his sovereignty. And you are acknowledging something else as authority and Lord of your life. And you can justify, well, I'm just bending. How many times have you bent when the reality was you weren't just bending, you were bowing? You were bowing to something else. See, there's a throne room in your heart. And whatever sits on that throne, whether it's God or whether it's something else, like that's ruling your life. And when your actions and your, what, the way you live is beginning to be dictated by that thing, you're not just bending, you're bowing. And you can say you're bending and you can justify it. And you can say, well, I, I, I bent my knee, but I didn't bow my heart. God, you know my heart. 
there's come a time when, you know what, you've got to decide. I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. The only thing I can do in obedience is stand. When everybody else is bowing, I have to stand. And how do you do that? How do you, how do you stand consistently when temptation is constant? They made the decision to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided we will not bend, we will not bow, we will stand. So can you imagine, hear, the, hear these, I don't know if every time, obviously every time that music was played, these, these guys weren't together, right? There had to be times when, when they were going about their business and all of a sudden the music plays and everybody bows and here's Shadrach just standing there, refusing to bow and everybody's like, you see him? He went him holy rollers. Him and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're going to form a bowling team called the Holy Roller Bowlers. Because <laughs> that's who they are. There's probably times they were together. But can you imagine, like, just think about it. Just think of a crowd like this. If, if, if everybody stood and I said, all right, everybody bow but one or two. Like how exposed and vulnerable that is. See, it's easy to stand up. It's, it's a whole other thing to stay up when everybody around you is sitting down. That's a challenge. That's the difficult part. And here's the thing. If you decide to stand up, you're going to stand out. That's why most of us don't want to do it. If you decide to stand up, you're going to stand out. And they stood out, and people took notice. Check it out. Look at verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Let's stroke his ego a little bit. Verse 10, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. When you stand up, you will stand out. People will take notice. Uh, believer, can I let you in on a little secret that's maybe not a secret? If you profess Christ, you better possess Christ because people are watching. People are watching. Well, I don't want people watching me. Too bad. Like, if you, if, if you claim Jesus, if you, if you make it known that you're a follower of Christ, if you make it known that your goal in this life is to follow God, people are watching you. And what you do and what you don't do matters. Why well, don't live for other people? No, you live for God. But other people are watching. And see, sometimes we don't destroy our influence with our desire to stand, but with our inconsistency in our stand. That's doing more damage than standing. Sometimes we're stomping on our own influence by inconsistently standing, standing when it's convenient, standing or sitting when it's not. Standing when we think it matters, when we start categorizing when we should stand and why we should stand and how we should stand, and we start just playing these little games with God. God don't play games. People were watching. And when you decide to make a, take a stand, when you decide, see, when you stand too reveals stuff about you. I hear people say all the time, you know, we need to talk more about what we stand for than what we stand against, but I don't know that we can stand for anything and not reveal what we stand against. Because in doing one, aren't we kind of revealing the other to a degree? 
That's why it's important that we do both with grace and love. But I want you to notice something. Their gossip didn't change their goal. Their gossip didn't change their goal. I don't see any place that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cared at all what these people said about their fact that they were taking a stand. You know what I also don't see? I don't see them going up to him and saying, I heard y'all talk to the king about me. Because that's what I would have done. Probably what you would have done too. You know why? Because, again, it goes back to what we talked about last week. They knew who they were. You will sit down when you start worrying about and living for the applause of people instead of the approval of God. When the applause of people becomes more important to you than the approval of God, you'll sit down every time. If you start getting wrapped up in what every little thing that everybody says about you and you start being concerned about what they're saying and start getting wrapped up in it to where it begins to shape and form what you do and don't do, you're in a really dangerous place. You'll begin to bow when you make that decision. So obviously King Nebuchadnezzar needs to check this out for himself. And he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in and basically asks them, is this, is this what's happening? Are, are you refusing to stand? And they're very clear, like, you know, you know we're not, we're not going to bow. Like, this is against what we're supposed to do. And he's like, oh, oh you're going to bow. Look at verse 15. The latter part, it says, again, he reiterates the penalty if they don't stand. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? See what he does? He tries to, to belittle their God. He tries to say, you know what? Um, you're going to do what I say because I'm the ultimate authority. And if I'm the one that decrees this penalty, what God will be able to save you from my hand? But his penalty doesn't change their position. Because they know as much as King Nebuchadnezzar thinks he has authority, they serve one that has more. Amen. That as big as his bark might be and as loud as he might be chomping at them and trying to go after them, he knows that as big as his authority and his ego might be, they serve the one and only true God. And they are the on he is the only one they will ever have to answer to. How much different would we live if we realized that like the only one who holds our destiny in his hand is the only audience we should ever live for? Because he has the ultimate authority. But it just got real. Because see, it's one thing to be standing up and like people whispering about you and mumbling about you. It's another thing to be called into the principal's office. And him look you in the eye and say, you know what, I, I know what y'all are doing now. It was one thing when, and you know, we have no idea how much kind of time went by, how many, how many months it had been or weeks it had been that this decree and how long they had been going. It's one thing like, you know, probably they'd even started getting a little bit like, you know, if it, if it was us, we'd be like, yeah, I've been standing every day. I ain't bowed yet. I ain't going to bow either. I don't care what that king says. And then you're standing in front of the king and be like, uh, uh, uh. See, now it's in the moment. Like, now, now they're really going to be tested. See, it's easy to stand when, like, the, the penalty seems far away, when the consequence seems far away, when the cost seems like it may never come. But now the rubber's about to meet the road. Like, they're about to really have to make a decision. And here they stand before the one who, in this position, has the authority to penalize them for their position. They stand at the intersection. And now the cost of refusing to make the exchange just got really real. And I love their response. Look at it with me. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. 
says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Isn't that awesome? Like, we ain't going to argue with you. We ain't going to get out the Bible and tell you every reason why we're not going to stand. We just ain't going to stand. There's some Christians in the room that need to learn that lesson. You ain't got to argue your way into every little situation. Just stand. Just stand. He said, we're not going to, we don't need to defend ourselves. We're not going to justify to you why we're taking the position that we're taking. We just know this is what God wants us to do, and we're going to stand. In verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Like, we know who we serve. We know who God is and who you're not, king. Verse 18 is the best part. But, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Isn't that a great response? First of all, like, we're not going to argue about this. We're not going to justify what we're doing to you. We know what God has called us to do. But you need to know this. We know what God is able to do. We don't always know what God will do, but we know what he's capable of. If God wants to, he is more than powerful enough to save us from any penalty you might throw at us. He is more than able. But even if he does not, even if we got to burn to death, we will not bow. What you, one of the things you need to notice that I think really helps these gentlemen take this stand is notice how often it says, we will not, we do not, we, 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 we. Like they stuck together. Like I just have, like I, I just wonder if it was some of us, when it got to that road, be like, Abednego, I'm out, man. Y'all, y'all can go to the fiery furnace. I'm going, I'm going back home. It says, we. Like if you're going to stand and stay standing, you need a we. Do you have your we? And I don't mean the little Nintendo that you play tennis on at the house. Like, do you have your we? If you're going to stand and stay standing, you've got to have a we. You've got to have people, you've got to have somebody that will champion your commitment to your convictions. Who will support you, who will pray for you, who will encourage you, who will stand with you. Do you have your we that when everybody else sits down around you, they will stand with you? Because if you don't, you won't make it. I always wonder, like, if this had just been Shadrach or just been Meshach or just been Abednego, if it had just been one of them, would they have had the courage to take the stand that they would? And maybe they would. But I know one thing, when I've got my brothers around me holding me accountable, I can stand with a lot more strength than what I do by myself. Now, there will be moments when you have to stand alone. But some of us are choosing to stand alone in times we don't have to. And your pride and your stubbornness is making the penalty more severe than it has to be. Like you've isolated yourself because maybe somewhere along the way somebody hurt you. That's what people do. People withdraw from the church because of this and that. And next thing you know, you're isolated and you don't have your we. This is the place where you find your we. Because you need it. You need to stand together. And it says in that moment, if you look at verse 19, that King Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Like he burned with anger. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. Like sometimes that will be the result of taking your stand, that you'll stand for God in a way that's so obedient that people's attitude towards you may shift. But just because their attitude changes doesn't mean yours have to. 
I think King Nebuchadnezzar could have ranted and, and raved and went crazy and never once to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get defensive or fight back. But see, that's my natural reaction. You know what? In this moment, when it gets real, I get defensive. And even in this, but his attitude doesn't change their approach. See, I think when we find ourselves in this moment when, when like, standing for Jesus is really going to cost us something, we either, we either sit down and be shy or we just go off and get defensive in anger. Like, it's, and neither one of those approaches are right. Like, they could have just said, okay, you're right, we'll bow. Or they could have just went on, like, we ain't going to bow to you and said, called him some names and said some things and told him how evil he was. And you feel like, you're right, we, we may burn, but you're going to burn too. And only, like, we could have had this big knockdown drag out and he they could have told him how evil he was and all this kind of stuff. But I just love their approach. Never once. Even as the men are come, the, the soldiers come to arrest them and they shackle them up. And the Bible says that they, that, that they tie them up so tight that they could hardly even move. And you never see once Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego say an evil word about a single one of them. I think there's something to be learned from that. What if, what if we stopped telling people how bad they are and started showing them how good God is? What if that became our approach? What if we stopped feeling the need to tell everybody how bad they are and just started showing them how good God is with the faithful way that we stand? And the Bible says that they tie them up. That Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, like he says, crank up the heat. Crank it up, crank it up, crank it up as hot as you can get it. Hotter than it's ever been before. So hot that the guards who go to take and throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, they lose their own lives because they can't stand the heat. And look what happens. They throw them into the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go in willingly. They stand and they stay standing. And even though all along the way, the enemy tried to get them to take an exit ramp. See, that's what the devil's going to do. As you're walking along your faith, along the way, he's going to give you an exit ramp. Say, so, why don't you just get off here? It'd be easier if you just get off here. There's a Starbucks. Or, or, or just get off here. You know, when they're, they're, they're saying bad things about you. Don't you want to get off now? Everybody's making fun of you. Don't, don't, don't you want to get off now? He's going to kill you. Don't you want to get off now? Not once do they do it. They get thrown in the fiery furnace, and look what happens. Daniel 3, verse 24. says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And asked the advisors, weren't, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? He said, look, I see four. Yeah. Woo. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Like there's something different about that fourth one in there. He don't look normal. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And boom, God is glorified and he's honored. And what stands out to me most is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand because they were able to believe something that I don't think we always do. Can you believe that God is still good even when the consequences for following him are not? Yeah. 
Can you believe that God is still good even though the consequences for following him may not be? Can you believe that he's still good and you still lose your job? That he's still good and that person still walk away from you? Like they were able, they, they, we know what God wants us to do. We know what he's called us to do. We know he's good. And even if we die, what he has for us on the other side of death will be worth us taking our stand. Because that's who he is. God has not just called you to stand up. He's called you to stand up and stay standing and to do it in a way that doesn't stomp on other people. To live in obedience to God without destroying your influence with others. And if you're going to do that, you have to be consistent and persistent. You have to be consistent. Do you see the continuous action? Consistent is continuous action. Like They continued to stay the course all along the way, even though the cost told them otherwise. But they weren't just consistent, they were persistent. They had continuous effort, that same passion all the way through. They never once did they begrudgingly say, well, we're going to stand for Jesus just because we, we know we're supposed to. Like if you're standing out of obligation, you will not stand long. Amen. When you're standing out of obedience driven by love, you can stand knowing God is good no matter what. I think the biblical word for this, most, the best biblical word is steadfast. You ever notice that word? It's a lot, especially the, the older translations of the word steadfast, steadfast. To me, that's consistent and persistence coming together in one heart. Someone who's steadfast. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in, in the Lord is not in vain. Steadfast. Some steadfast people in the room. Will you stand and stay standing, believing that God is good, even when the cost of following him may not be? Will you gather your we so that next time that you are at that intersection of God's way and a lesser way, you would not make a bad exchange? Would you stand with me, bow your heads, close your eyes as you're standing? This all began with a battle over worship. You know why I don't think they ever had to bend in public when the music was playing? Is because they had already bowed to the one true God in private. So when they were forced to bend out there, they had the strength necessary because it came from when they bowed in places like this. So today what we need to do as we finish up our time together is allow God through this worship to give you strength encourage to stay true to what he's called you to be who he's called you to be so whatever you need to do in this time to draw his strength from his spirit his presence into your spirit and your being whether it's stand there and just sing your guts out or come and kneel around this platform turn it into altar or pray but just give him honor and glory and let him fuel your spirit so that you can stay standing father i pray that in this moment that you would give us what we need that you would give us the strength. God, I know that there are probably people that are exhausted in here, not from disobedience, but just from trying to live for you in all these different places they found themselves where it's just been difficult, it's been challenging, and maybe they came in here weary, Lord, and to stay standing right now, they need just your strength, and God, would you provide it in the supernatural way that only you can. Meet with us now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. 
To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.